This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Hi everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the IndieSpirituals.com. Uh, I'm really excited to have our very special guest, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. with us today. Hello, Don Miguel, how are you? Hi Chris, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. So before we jump in the interview, I just wanted to give our viewers a, a very abridged version of your bio, um, just so them know a little bit about yourself. So Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is a Nagual, which is a Toltec master of transformation. He is a direct descendant of the Toltecs of the Eagle Knight lineage and is the son of Don Miguel Ruiz, who probably most of our viewers know. Um, By combining the wisdom of his family's traditions with the knowledge gained from his own personal journey, he now helps others realize their own path to personal freedom. That is no small task, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) So how are you doing today, Don Miguel? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Congratulations on the book. It's awesome. Uh, Thank you. I don't mind that little plug. I appreciate it. And and vice versa. I I really love your work. Your whole family's work has been very inspirational to me, but uh, the vibe levels of attachment is phenomenal. I look forward to getting into that with you in in a few minutes. Um, What I wanted to start out with was, before we get into that, I watched, I think it was the last week you did that Fox 9 interview um, out when you were in Idaho, and, yeah. uh, and that was great. And you mentioned in that, and you also talked a little, very briefly about this in the beginning of uh, the Five Levels of Attachment, um, where you talk about your younger rebellious nature, something yeah. I can certainly resonate with. Yeah. And in the Five Levels, um, you didn't go, obviously you didn't have time to go into it into the, in the news uh, interview. In the book, you mentioned that you know you had your goth phase and filmmaker phase and everything before you kind of came in line with the uh, the teachings and working with your dad. So, I wanted to explore that a little bit further because honestly, I think a lot of our viewers are the people. There are certainly those established already in spirituality, but there's a lot of people first stepping onto the path. So, mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit, if you don't mind, sharing a little bit about yourself before you came on and and that transition into sure, the sure, path. sure, no problem. Uh... Well, you can say that my brother and myself, Jose and myself, grew up in the age where we weren't, you know, we, we grew up with the Beatles, we grew up with the Stones, we grew up with uh, with uh, that kind of music, you know. For us, like, 
the the musical Jesus Christ Superstar was something beautiful. It wasn't something that a lot of like who grew up with spirituality like oh, look at it. But yeah. we, we we love it. We we grew up with that, and um, then. You can say that uh, the thing about every generation is that we love what we have. And both my brother and myself, and I'm going to speak for myself right here more, but sure. Jose and I both went. We discovered the Pesh mode. We discovered the Cure. We discovered the Smiths. We, yeah. di we discovered Iron Maiden, Motley Crue, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> we, we, we like our favorite movie was The Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah. Michael. My brother still gave me a hard time. <laughs> And there was a time where, like, you know, and I, I uh, you can say both of us went in our different directions. For me, one pivotal moment was a, move, a movie called The Dead Poet Society. Mm, yeah. For me, The Dead Poet Society was a movie that, in my point of view, changed my life forever because not, it, only, it came when I was discovering that kind of a music. Mm. And then alongside, there was this, you know, old captain, my captain. I've fallen love with literature, so I became somewhat of an academic. I, I, I engaged myself, engorged myself with, with uh, literature, with books, with, uh, with anything I can get you know, from. Uh, you can say, instead of I, I know people read uh, Carlos Castaneda, yeah. but my sense of spirituality came from Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm. Uh, you know the, the writings of, of the magical realism, mm. and because it was it's the concept of. You know, we live in this everyday world, but magic still occurs. And in, in Gabriel Garcia Marquez, may he rest in peace, um, he captured that beautifully. Mm -hmm. And there was one time where both, there's a story. Um, in 1991, both myself and Jose were really into our goth thing. Well, you know, Jose has that heavy metal tinge and I had that you know, synth pop thing. Yeah. And we both had the, uh, the, our favorite bands were... Caifanes uh, and, and Café Tacuba because at that point Spanish rock also started taking on that thing. My father takes us to Teotihuacan for the very first time uh, as a power journey and you know we you know everyone is doing their ceremony and me and Jose are with our headphones back in the day when we had the little thingies with yeah. the, the remote <laughs> yeah. and we're listening to our music you know we had Skid Row playing in our head we had sure. Metallica playing in our head we had yeah. Sex Pistols playing in our head and but yet you know we took him took it off at certain points and you know we did a process and it felt good and then my father in that particular trip took us to the basilica of guadalupe mm -hmm. uh to be in before we went to the airport we went to the basilica to you know do this moment of communion with the virgin mary mm -hmm. and both me and my brother had um had this experience, you know, we got uh, our rosaries blessed and it was a magical moment. And we were riding high in that kind of magic moment. We were like, wow, look at that. Because having grown up in the, in, the, in the family we grew up with, you know, spirituality and everyday life happens all the time. And we grew up with that. Yeah. And we went to the airport in Mexico City and we went to this little books, bookstore back then. If there was a bookstore or a CD store, a record store, right. well, record stores back then, CDs were still not as uh, as popular as they are nowadays. There were still vinyl and cassettes. Yeah. Anytime we go find a store, we go in there and plunge. You know, we start right look, looking through all the stuff and see what we can get. And we have our rosaries on, and in the bookstore, we're all all in black. And 
this lady looks at us and says, you should not be wearing those. You're all in the black. You're in the black. You represent the darkness. You should not wear rosaries. And both of us, having had that experience with divinity, that with, uh, with, with uh, Virgin of Guadalupe, mm. we, found, we found that, yeah. And, and at certain times, we, we felt that growing up, you know, we'd, Jose, Jose would go to a, uh, an event with his uh, Sex Pistols shirts, and uh, some people would be like, why are you wearing that? Don't you know it's a spiritual place? Yeah, and then I walk the around with my Joy Division a shirt that says "Love will tear us apart." Yeah, and some people, how can you wear that? You know, your father just all about love. How can you wear "Love will tear us apart"? You can say, as a teenager, uh, we rebelled against it. Now I'm going to start talking more about myself here. Yeah, we, 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 I rebelled against it, and just having that feel like because I totally understand what my father is. I totally understand what my grandmother is. It's easy for me to engage that. Yet at the same time. You know, we're supposed to hide it. You know, a, a song like from XTC, Dear God, sorry to disturb you, but I feel you can make it better down here. Mm-hmm. You know, songs like that, you know, we, we see the beauty of it and we felt that push. So even in the 90s, you know, if you weren't dressed like a hippie and you enter, entered in spirituality, you were rejected, you know. So you couldn't wear, you know, like you and I wouldn't, you know, the way we, we dress, like how can you call yourself spiritual? Yeah. This is back in the 90s. And I enjoy I enjoy my music, and I enjoyed art. And when I went to college, I majored in film, so I totally engaged myself. And you know, little by little, uh, the the people who would go to my dad's events were changing. You know, it, it it became less of this specialized group to something that is common sense. You know, when he started to branch out to an audience wider than that select group. It was basically this big thing and it began to change, you know. You had filmmakers and writers and it became exciting, you know, like mm-hmm. we're excited to see you, you know, <laughs> even as a, at the age of 38, I'm excited to see you, you know, with, with uh, Tony Hawk in the, back, in the background, you know, um, uh, just showing off with the tattoos and, and it's exciting, you know, because, you know, we, I have tattoos too. Yeah, right on. <laughs> and, and, and Jose too and Jose Lioda. So, but when in the 90s, when we first started, we felt that disconnect, you know, how can we be, and we bought into it. Oh, I, I bought into it. So I'll keep it with myself. Mm. And then... You know, there, there's, there's something happens when you graduate from college and you and the bubble pops. Mm. You know, there's that. You know, the idealism of a, of a of a teenager and, a, and the idealism of a young college student pops when you, all of a sudden you're faced with the reality of everyday life. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden it's not something that knowledge is solely in the books. Knowledge is now applicable. Right. And. You can say that's when life began to teach me. My father really started teaching me, really, when I graduated from college. Mm. That could also have something to do with it. <laughs> and, and little by little, I began to understand it. Mm. And I continued to rebel against it. You know, like I, you know Jose, Jose engaged it sooner than I did. Mm. Jose went to India. Jose understands spirituality from the point of view of Indian and nature. And at that point, I'm I'm totally in my head, academics, reason, logic. And my father engaged me with that. My dad taught me through logic, you know. Yeah. And 
when I began to understand it, when I began to see it in my own way, to hey, this is not not something that's out there. It's something that's in here, and right. in in here it changes words and names and everything, and and it doesn't really matter what symbols it represents. That's exactly what my dad did. You know, when when my dad first started teaching the Toltec tradition, he talked. All about those beautiful old Toltec symbols. Mm. He talked from that point of view of a shaman, of a Nawal. Mm. And then he shifted it. He took out the symbols and continued to teach the meaning. Mm. And then I realized that it, the symbols are not as important as the meaning that is behind it because the meaning behind it is what the substance, the, the experience. Right. right. So when I began to understand that, um, I engaged, I re-engaged my family tradition. I, I stopped my rebellion with him. Mind you, I was also going through a, a, a rough patch in my life after his heart attack, after a bad breakup. And, yeah. you know, I discovered the whole image of perfection through the eyes of the judge. I, I put myself in a pedestal, tried to live up, and it came crashing down. The illusion always crashes down when the truth is presented before you. Right. And that's a moment of heartbreak. So when I... I the story I usually say is like when I picked up, when the four agreements came out in 1997, I was 21 years old or 22. I picked it up and I put it down halfway through and, and basically it's my dad telling me what to do all over again. Mm-hmm. And then after that period in my life that, you know, what you can call it the Saturn's, uh, Saturn's return or whatever mm-hmm. people use as a definition that... That moment where I'm not, when I realize I'm no longer a boy, I'm, I'm a living being. You know, like I'm not, I'm not gonna call myself an adult either. I'm just this guy who's engaging life, and the facade falls apart. I reread the book and I understood it, and mm-hmm. it was no longer something my dad told me. It was something that well, everyone has seen. You know, there's the reason that that pop, book is popular. You know, it speaks to a certain truth that each one of us has. Yeah. And I saw that truth reflecting in me, and I began to engage it. So I, I wanted to continue teaching, but in my language, you know, even if, if, if you hear the difference between me and my brother talk, you know, you know the, the, we stop, talk about the same exact thing, and uh, yet the experience we went through colors the language we use. Mm-hmm. And, but we still, both of us speak from that sense of integrity of love and spirituality and life. Just a language is different. So you can say that's the end of my rebellion in the moment I began to understand it. So it's it, it no longer like the description I, I described to you about all those bands and music and God, whatever, kind of fell down trying to live up to it. For example, it's like, you know, the image of the God kid. I was trying to live up to an image that doesn't exist. Mm. You know, the, the image of the God version of me did never existed. I try to live up to it. You know, the, the worst thing you can call me is a, a wannabe. Sure. And, you know, as a, you know, when you're trying to be cool, wannabe is one of the worst things you can call someone. Yeah, right. And the reason why, it's because, you know, we don't want the truth to be exposed. Well, here's the thing. I, I, am, I am a wannabe from that point of view. And who I, who I am is a guy who loves that kind of music that can dress that part, but I am not that image and I'm not that stereotype. I don't have to be friends with only with God kids or Archie kids or Bohemian kids. I can be friends with anyone. Right. To this day, I can honestly say I love country. I enjoy country. I, 
I enjoy some some reggae. Uh, I enjoy. I, I, I'm right now. My favorite album is "Old oh Brother Where Art Thou." Oh, great uh, let's, album! Let's, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, listening to that uh, uh, as I go down to the river to pray, singing about a good old day. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting that I can, in, in the same uh, breath, I can sing an XTC song uh, based on atheism and then sing a love a love song to divinity through. Um, I believe this is um, not Emily Harris. Um, it's the name of the artist. Oh, she just did a, an album with Robert Plant. Oh, Alison Krauss. Alison Krauss, yeah. yeah. Alison Krauss sings yeah. that song, and it's, she has a beautiful, beautiful voice, and it's just the most divine thing, you know. Yeah, I saw them actually a few years ago with T Bone Burnett here in Connecticut, and it was an amazing oh, nice. concert. Yeah, so. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's so important because I'm I'm very similar to you where I have very eclectic taste in music. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm all over the place, and if it resonates with me, it resonates with me. And um, mm-hmm. and I'm just two years younger than you. I'm turning 36 in a couple of weeks, so everything you've been sharing. Happy birthday! Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> but it, it all resonates with me, and and I still find, and I write a bit about this in the book, that. Um, you know, I, I will still, if I'm visiting a new sangha or a church or wherever, I, I, I still like to, if, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm traveling or whatever, check out what, what, what's going on. But I still get looks if I happen to be wearing a band t-shirt or something. Um, same thing you described. So it's still going on today. You know, not always. Yeah. I've also been very embraced and people, you know, I as we talk about the tattoos and people see that and they're like, well, how can you have any interest in spirituality? But you know, those people are missing the mark. Like you said, it's what's happening in here. Where what's going on in here? So yeah, yeah. And it's and it's exactly the point when I when I write the five levels of attachment. Yeah. It's uh, it's a point where, you know, we can learn from spirituality or love or divinity, whatever, uh, from any moment. From the barista, you know, you can say I learned humility from being a, a production assistant. You know, it was the most spiritual experience to learn humility. As you're running around a stage trying to satisfy everyone else's need and someone's egos or someone's perception, you know, working together to create this image together, this this product, this this movie, this video, this music video. The last the last uh, job I did was a, a Missy Elliott uh, video with a uh, past the Dutch, you know, and I and I, I, I it was an, it was a wonderful experience. I can say that working as a, as a PA. I got to meet Michael Stipe, and you know we had a private concert for 25 as we we're shooting a, a video for a, a TV show for Nick Hardcourt, the guy from Morning Becomes Eclectic in, in Los Angeles. Even in those moments, I found spirituality. Spirituality is in everything, everything. and if we pigeon, I mean, if we pigeonhole it here, that if we say at level four uh, uh, internalization that we have to live up to this image. Then we just like I described the image of the wannabe of the goth kid who tries to live up to the image. We're also doing that with spirituality. We're trying to live up to this image, and we have to reject anything that doesn't look like it. Because if it doesn't look like it, how can you call yourself spiritual? Like if you're vegan and you're not vegan, well, you're spiritual if you do. You're spiritual if you don't, or or vegetarian. Or or you you live in a commune or live in an ashram or live in isolated in the hill. Yeah, we 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 we're we're everyday engaging life. Mm. You know, we, whether we're in nature, whether we're in the city, we're engaging life, and that's yeah. the beauty of it. And the willingness to listen to each other, like this, you can say, we detach enough from that 
internalized or domesticated image of self mm. and see what life has. Yeah. Life has so much to teach, so much to do, you know, and, and as we domesticate ourselves to this image, you know, of other of a, of a bohemian or, or a spiritual person, we tr we're trying so desperately to live up to this image in order to get some credibility, some cred. And if we don't live up to it, then, you know, like, the, like they say in, in Scott Pilgrim, you lose vegan edge. <laughs> you know? and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and when you live like that, we're living under the subjugation of someone else's point of view, how we should love ourselves, yeah. which means we're rejecting ourselves. Yeah. So letting go of that image, letting go of that ideal and beginning to see that everyone, even the, the voice whom you disagree with the most has something to teach. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, couldn't agree more. So, I mean, your book, The Five Levels of Attachment, is a very important book. You know, I, I absolutely love it. I love that, you know, you've already elaborated a little bit on it. And the way it's presented, it really is a, a user-friendly, you know, it, it's applicable, I believe, for any spiritual seeker. And I really mm. admired that about it. So what I wanted to do is talk a little bit, go a little more in depth about that. And I wanted to start with, I'm going to read a little excerpt from it. It's not very long, but I, I, I was thinking of a way I could, um, you know, bridge this. I'm like, no, this is too beautiful. I'm just going to share. It's a paragraph. But uh, you, you've already mentioned your grandmother a few times. And this is something that in the beginning you're talking about her. And, and I was, I know, I was really inspired by this. So um, you write that your grandmother asked you. And I'm just, like I said, it's just a paragraph, but I love this. She said, are you using knowledge or is knowledge using you? And she continued, when you translate, you try to express my words through what you already know, what you think is true. You do not hear me, you hear yourself. Imagine mm -hmm. doing the same thing every single moment in life. If you are looking through life and translating as it goes along, you will miss out on living. But if you learn to listen to life, you will always be able to express the words as they come. Your knowledge has to become a tool you will use to guide you through life, but that can also be put aside. Don't mm -hmm. do not let knowledge translate everything you experience. Wow, I would love for you if you can elaborate a bit on that. Um, I mean, I, that kind of says it all, but I would love to hear you talk a little further about that because that when I read it the first time was just whoa, you know, like mm -hmm. right here. So, okay. well, well, you know, when 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 you when you use knowledge as an instrument, it's basically. Everything we know, knowledge, at, you can say, is completely subject to agreement. It's just a symbol. That, and it's meant to allow ourselves to understand how the world functions. But most importantly, it allows us to understand each other. Right now, you and I are using knowledge in order to understand each other. Right. So when we use knowledge, we become aware, one, that knowledge exists because we give it life. You know, we give it meaning. And the way we use it as a tool is the same way we use, put instruments into a tool shed. Imagine you have a screw that you need to screw. You go into the tool shed, you grab the, screw, the screwdriver, you drill it in. Then you have a nail, and you're not going to use the, ham, the, the the screwdriver. You can put it, probably turn it around and go like this, but you're going to hurt your hand around. Right. So you put it back, grab the hammer, put it in, and you're done, and you put it back. Knowledge is exactly that. We use the information that we've acquired through life. And knowledge is simply that. Knowledge is basically putting into words and symbols an experience. So from education, from one generation to another, they're sharing all the information that worked for the gener that generation in order to expand. 
You know, it can say going from from Edison and Tesla, mm. uh, the experimentation with electricity, to you and I talking right now through the electricity that they they only envision lighting up a room. Right. And Tesla could have, could have imagined it just a bit more, but not even Tesla could have imagined that we're using electricity to speak to one another from your Connecticut to California and yeah. people who are listening to us are anywhere else in between right and then and beyond yeah so the beautiful thing about that is that 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 idea that knowledge was created a long time ago allowed itself to evolve through experience repetition and all that to the point where we are here right now speaking to one another going beyond the image of illuminating a room to the point of not only sharing a vision, but hearing a vision mm -hmm. and interacting, an actual living interacting. This is not an illusion. This is something that an idea expressed through action has created. Mm -hmm. This is knowledge used as an instrument. Not When knowledge uses me, it has to stay as a light bulb. It was that's the way the founders thought about it. That's how that's how Edison thought about it. That's how Tesla thought about it. And it should be used. How dare you use it in a different way? All of a sudden we have this idea of how it should be done. And this is what, what is anything else doesn't exist. What? The idea of using it to talk to someone else? Preposterous. No, it's this way. <laughs> this is the only way. And all of a sudden, what I know, instead of being something that allows the imagination to spread, something that allows me to survive, becomes something that only limit that limits my perception of what could be or what is. Yeah. So from that point of view, using those two examples, we're talking about free will. When I use knowledge, I'm applying my free will because I'm aware of who I am. I am the expression of life, and free will is the result of saying yes and no. Hmm. When I lose that is when knowledge has complete control, and my will is subject to a belief. Rather than me perceiving and making a choice for myself, my knowledge, my attached knowledge, makes the choice for me, is what we know as the automatic yes and the automatic no. Right. So the levels of attachment reflect that those differences. At level one, Imagine a flower we call awareness. At level one, that flower is completely open with the authentic self. Then as we engage a moment in the same way we use the instruments of the tool shed, it engages so it cl the flower closes briefly as we engage that moment. But we never lost sight of who we were, so the flower opens up again. So it's a flower that's pulsating. Hmm. So you can say free will is ex expressed through every moment I've lived. I level three identity. I begin to identify myself like as uh, Toltec, indie spiritualist, goth kid, whatever. Now all of a sudden we have this image: spiritual guy, uh, vegan. vegan, yeah. But all these, all these things now control my need to know who I am is based on a definition rather than an experience. Mm. Even when I'm engaged in those things, I'm calling myself that. Right. But even here. Even when the moment has passed, a flower does not open. So I've attached myself to a moment with a definition, to an idea, to a definition, or to a potential with a definition. Now it defines who I am mm -hmm. and begins to color my choices. But even here, we still have the ability to engage other people. The only difference is I've defined myself with this. At level four, the flower closes even more. 
and doesn't open again when the moment is over because now I'm going to use that identity and I'm going to domesticate myself to it. Mm. Now my, my, my free will is now beginning to be subjugated to domestication. If I live up to this image, I'm worthy of my own acceptance. If I don't live up to this image, then I'm worthy of my own rejection. Mm-hmm. So you can say, at this point, what I know, I'm going to use it to subjugate my will, and I'm going to try to subjugate your will. Whenever we judge someone, we're punishing them for agreements they never made. Mm-hmm. And the way we make them agree is to first believe the punishment I'm giving them. Then at level five, fan- fanaticism, the flower is completely closed. And I only perceive what, I'm, my, my, what my beliefs allow me to see. You know, it'll spin it or distort it to the way I want the world to see. So knowledge now becomes a completely distorted thing. Knowledge no longer reflects life, whereas a clear reflection of life. Knowledge is completely distorted based on my attachment. And my attachment distorted knowledge, mm. just as it distorted my sense of self, where my beliefs control my actions. How dare you do this? How dare you wear that, that rosary? Well, don't you know you, you, you're wearing black? Well, from that moment, when I was uh, 16 years old, if I believed it, then, then I would never wear black. And I let her judgment of me control me. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, I knew who I was because I had the experience. And I didn't let it subjugate me to a certain degree, of course. I rebelled against it, but... Right. Then I try to subjugate them. And fanaticism basically is this thing that I've attached myself so much to my image that says, well, the hell with you. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm listening to me. And I'm going to reject anything that's going to change my mind. So it becomes this us against them, this mm-hmm. war of imposing and subjugation. Mm-hmm. So the more we attach ourselves to this image, one, the, force, the, more, the more we reject ourselves. So you can say... The opposite of love is love. Or you can say more simply, the opposite of unconditional love at level one is conditional love at level five. Hmm. From that point of view, you know, the op- the way, because the opposite of love is not hate or anger. And hate and anger are just the instruments we're going to use to domesticate another. The opposite is love. Hmm. The type, how we can express it. So you can say that how does that do with knowledge? Well, I'm going to use knowledge to subjugate myself to love myself conditionally. And that's why I begin to distort knowledge. And I attach myself to knowledge because knowledge is always subject to agreement. It always changes. It always morphs, you know, because the symbols we use are always going to be changing. Right. And you can say that the idea of a light bulb, the use of electricity to illuminate a room has evolved to, not only to what we're doing, because there's more to electricity now that the, the, the idea that you and I are doing, yes, it might be, it was cutting edge 10 years ago, but it's gone beyond that. Now we're moving moving cars, we're moving many things with electricity, right. and, and it's allowing the idea to flourish. Hmm. So from that point of view, it's not about detaching uh, from life, it's about reengaging life and seeing life for what it is. Right. And how it is, and so, realize that I am a co-creator with it. And I, I could, I definitely feel like I know people at each level. Which thank you for going into to a bit about each level. Um, I think that's really important for our viewers to know. Those on the spiritual path, really, um, you know, the goal is to get back to that 
authentic self, you know, which you mm -hmm. talk about. And, and that could also be known as Brahman or Dharmakaya or the Godhead or, you know, whatever tradition has its own wording for it. And you talk about um, it becomes obscured and, you know, through these filters and our attachments, which you've already discussed a bit about, the belief systems. And you reference it as the smoky mirror in the book. Okay. Um, so how can we, anyone, you know, that, that's trying to find that authentic self, and I'm talking about the people that are really authentically, they don't want to be seekers, they want to be finders. You know, mm -hmm. I, I find there's a difference. How do we start working with these attachments in this smoky mirror? How do we familiarize ourselves with it and begin to work through that to clear it out? Well, the nice thing is that the, the levels of attachment are just an instrument of becoming aware. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like an alcoholic or drug addict that becomes aware of what he or she has created. Right. You know, it's a moment of clarity. Yeah. And in that moment of clarity, we see the truth. And we have a choice to continue to live in that illusion or to let go. So you can say from that point of view, the levels of attachment is not a goal to, to go all the way open. It's becoming, it's lets us know where we are. And if we want to move, it's because that's what we want. If we want to stay at level four, we'll, we'll stay at level four. But it's that moment of choice, becoming aware. If you see it as a, the levels of attachment as an instrument at level five to break through the illusion of level five, well, my favorite story of a level five is Don Quixote de la Mancha. If he sees giants, he's worthy of the name Don Quixote. But if he sees windmills, his real name is Alonso Quijano. So you can say from this point of view, the, the windmills represent the truth. And since he saw the windmills and he doesn't want to see the windmills, he wants to still see the illusion. He'll create a story that allows him to still see it. Mm. Ah, Sancho, don't. How easily you are fooled. Don't you know as my arch nemesis, the magician who turned these giants into windmills just to make me look bad. <laughs> At that moment, Don Quixote preferred the illusion. Right. And you can say that the moment we lost awareness of our authentic self is the moment we prefer the illusion or the lie over the truth. Mm. But the best way to let go of it is to accept the truth when it's presented before. So... If we see it from the point of view of the levels of attachment reflecting our truth, you know, if we can, if the levels of attachment allows the level five to see it, wow, that's impressive. But it mostly will let people at level four see it, or level three, where that's where the majority of the people see it. And in order for that to happen, one has to be willing to see it, see the truth in our life. In the four, in the four, in the five levels of attachment, I use the image of a soccer game mostly because I'm challenging someone to find spirituality in a soccer game mm -hmm. that is not necessarily in a pigeonhole. That's, once again, a story that we talked about before is presented in that image. How can spirituality be presented in a soccer game? Yes. Well, the reason why I use it is exactly that. If we can see it in a soccer game, then we can see it in anything else. And it's a lot easier to see it in a sporting thing mm -hmm. rather than something religious or political. Because mm -hmm. as soon as I talk spirituality or politics, with the levels of attachment, people get stuck at level three. And all of a sudden, it's hard to move up or explain anything else. Right. But if they are able to understand it in a language that they might find foreign to themselves, it's easier to see. And then if they apply it in their own life, they'll go, oh, I can see how I'm a, I'm, I'm a level four with vegan. I'm, I can see how I'm a level four with my homeopathic remedies. I can see how I'm at level five with this belief or that. Or like, oh, I'm at level three. Yes, yes, I, 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 don't, I don't subjugate people. Yes, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, but 
the people around me don't have to be vegetarian in order to be my friend, right. because what's important is the friendship. Right. It's finding our, it's, it's, if the levels of attachment function like a mirror that allows us to see the truth of where we're at, then we can exercise our free will, which is, do I want to stay at this level? Do I want to increase my level? Or do I want to decrease it? Mm. Because when I was taught about detaching when I was young, it was such an abstract term. What do I detach from? Well, if I'm going to detach myself from everything, well, how am I going to engage life? I have to engage life. And the levels of attachment breaks it down in different levels. You know, because one attachment, the level of a story, for example, the story of, of the soccer is increase. You get one attachment at level one that takes you to level two. But when the game didn't end, the flower didn't open again. You increased it. I increased it. And that single uh, attachment increases with time. So you can say it it grew. The attachment grew, 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 grew to the point where it controlled my attention. And the, to the attachment basically it looks like that. Mm-hmm. Instead of something that takes you like this, it's something that goes like that. So from that point of view, it's simply this thing of how I'm applying this energy that I'm calling an attachment. Mm-hmm. And attachment basically is like the little girl or little boy who does it goes, mine, this right. action of the arm, mine, mine, mine. But when a child is that young, they do not have control of anything, but they still want to control it to stop it from happening or changing or evolving. Well, that attachment, like, no, mine, we, we invest ourselves emotionally to something that is not a part of us. Mm. And the thing with life is that everything evolves, everything changes. Yeah. So from that point of view, it's simply about how do I want to live my life? Do I want to live my life with conditional love or unconditional love? Mm. And actually, that's a a great segue um, into another question I had. And this is kind of the last question we'll talk about the book. um, Mm -hmm. Is you talk about self-love and acceptance. um, And that's something for me I struggled with for many years and still do sometimes. You know, it's something I I work with. and you wrote uh, in, in the Five Levels Attachment, of all the beliefs to detach from, this is the most important one. Let go of the attachment that you must obtain some image of perfection in mm-hmm. order to be happy. And, mm-hmm. of course, I absolutely loved that. So that's something I would love, if, again, if you don't mind elaborating a little bit further no, on no that. Um, yeah. Because you know people have the idea of, okay, I need to do this, but how do we do that? Well, actually, that's the, the the book I'm writing right now is actually exactly about that. Oh, it's, good, it's, cool. It's, it's 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 that part. Basically, if we put it the levels of attachment, it's going from level four to level three. To because to let go of level four is to let go of un, of conditional love and embracing unconditional love. Even though we have an identity, we let go of that condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain it in a different way, and how to see it in our life. And I'm going to use reason. Yeah. Every word we use is an empty symbol whose definition is subject to the agreement of an individual uh, or a community. Mm-hmm. For example, in, in America, the word fanny is a very innocent way to refer to someone's bottom or, or a, a buttocks, you know, a bum. <laughs> in England, it's a sexist, derogatory, demeaning word that refers to a woman's private area. Sure. It's, it's the C word here in the States. Yes. Both are pronounced exactly the same, enunciated the same way, even spelled the same way, but two different 
communities both speak English. One uses it as an innocent term that little kids and grandmas use. And the other one is the most sexist, demeaning, horrible, poisonous word they can think of to refer to well, a beautiful individual. Mm. I'm responsible for what I say. I'm not responsible for what you hear. Mm. Because everyone grows up in different. The language we use is different. But if we could see that same concept with, with language, that here's this Mexican-American guy set telling uh, uh, someone from Britain that, no, it's an, innocent, it's an innocent term. And like, no, how can you call yourself a spiritual? You look at, you're saying such horrible things. Well, we grew up with those ideas. And we see the world through these ideas. And it's completely subject to agreement. If we understand that with words, it's also the truth with perfection. Perfection is something that is completely free of any flaw. Mm. Guess what? We define what a flaw is. A flaw is completely a self-definition. I can say to myself, the most perfect version of me is at the age of 27, weighing 170 pounds with a full set of hair. <laughs> I look at myself in the mirror and that doesn't exist anymore. I don't weigh 170. I'm 38 and my hair is what it is. If I look at myself in the mirror and I'm judging myself, I'm seeing those things as a flaw. But a flaw is something that we agree with, which means I'm punishing myself with my own agreements. I'm punishing myself with something I've said yes to. From that point of view, we're punishing ourselves with our own illusion, with our own beliefs. And those judgments, those, 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 uh, those flaws, we set from it. Or we agreed with someone who said the, the, those were flaws. With Marilyn Monroe, James Mansfield, Sophia Loren, and Audrey Hepburn would still be the, the image of beauty in today's age. Hmm. It's changed so much. And mind you, they were still subjugating themselves. Audrey Hepburn had a hard time with beauty, and you know, she was anorexic. Marilyn Monroe had a hard time with insecurity, and well, Sophia Loren is Sophia Loren. She's just a powerhouse. <laughs> But the thing about it is that we all subjugate ourselves with a definition of what beauty is, yet the definition of what beauty is changes dramatically from generation to generation. You know, what, to being a waif in the 1800s was not considered something of beauty. Mm -hmm. So if you see it from that point of view, perfection, especially through the eyes of the judge, and the judge is our beliefs, our ideas, our, our mind, what in the total tradition we call the the, the mind that's the parasite, that is the judge and the victim. Well, then it'll grab this image of perfection and says, in order for you to be worthy of love, you have to be perfect. Like, for example, let's use myself as an example. My name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I don't take things personal. I always do my best. I don't make assumptions. I, uh, I, uh, <gasps> I forgot the fourth agreement. No, how can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.? How can I call myself a Totecon? It's it's the goth days all over again. You're such a wannabe. From that point of view, if I want to live up to this image of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., then I'm going to try to be perfect. And I'm going to if I if I achieve it, then I'm going to try to stay there. You know, like right. it's like working out. The hardest, the ease, the easiest part of getting into shape is getting into shape. The hardest part is sustaining into shape. Yeah. Well, the hardest thing about enlightenment is becoming enlightened, 
The hardest part is staying enlightened mm. because life continues. Life goes in this back and forth flow that goes, keeps going because we're always engaging life. We don't live in an ashram. We don't live in a monastery. We don't live isolated up in the hills. We're continuously engaging life. And life is set by the agreements of back and forth, back and forth. And one of those agreements is the condition of do you love yourself conditionally or unconditionally? And if you believe the, the concept of conditional love, then we believe that in order to be worthy of love, we have to be perfect based on our agreement of what we should be. Mm. If your conditional love is to live up to this, to this title, the indie spiritualist, and all of a sudden about 20 years ago, you're going to outgrow Tony Hawk, and you're going to like someone else. No, but I'm, I was the one who wrote the Indian spiritualist. I have to live up to it. Right. At that point, we're rejecting ourselves. We created an image just like me, Domingo Rich Jr. doesn't exist. Mm. It doesn't exist. I'm, I'm judging myself with a model that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yet, I'm punishing myself, which means I'm domesticating myself, level four and level five, with this idea. At level four, I'm judging myself. So that's a self-rejection. At level five, I'm hating myself. Mm. I'm rejecting myself so much with sexism, racism, whatever. So that, from that point of view, our sense of loving ourselves comes from that choice. Mm. Do I accept myself for who I am at this very moment? Because at this very moment, I'm alive. The future me doesn't exist yet. The past me, I can't go back in the past and change my mind back then because intent no longer exists. Mm -hmm. The only truth that exists is this present moment that moves with me from the moment I am born to the moment I die. Mm -hmm. And it's always changing. It's always evolving. I'm not the same guy I was back when I was a teenager. That description of me before, during my rebellion, that guy ceased to exist over 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the guy who even wrote the five levels of attachment ceased to exist about a year ago. I've been going through the process and I'm understanding it more and more and more to the point where I, oh, I understand this, I understand that. I, yeah. Life happens. Life. And then you realize that the level of attachment, when you get to level four, one, you realize that even at level five, they're the authentic self. They're just not aware of it. Right. I used to, when I started writing it, I really believe the, example, the perfect examples of level one was Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, uh, all these beautiful enlightened teachers and then when I get there and I understand it the guy pumping my gas at the station he's the authentic self right. the guy or the girl who's serving me coffee or writing a book or you know uh, Ann Coulter she's the authentic self you know or or or, or uh, Marianne Williamson she's the authentic self everyone is right. because we're all alive but we're not aware of it and and that's the thing the only reason why we're not aware of it is that we believe that we're this definition. Right. Yeah. And the only thing that separates us is a point of view. I tried to tackle that in one of the vignettes in Indie Spiritualist titled, uh, I think it was like Jesus, Hitler, Slayer, and Bieber. You know, and I talk <laughs> about, though, <laughs> an interesting combination of folks. Yeah, give it to Bieber. <laughs> but, but like you said, underneath, you know, the the agreement or the, you know, whatever we see in them is like you said, the authentic self, the divine being. So, um, I, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have had the, these experiences enough to where I can see that. But like you said, you know, sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. Um, yeah. but I know in my heart and, you know, from experience, the truth of that, but it's yeah. also, I think you, you also nailed something that else that's really important is 
it's always changing. Like, I am definitely, I'm working on my second book, and I, I go back and look at someone I wrote in the first book, I'm like, wow, I, you know, like, not that I disagree with it, but it's like, I have such a deeper understanding or idea behind it now, and it's a really interesting process. And Gandhi said something to the effect of, I don't know verbatim, but like my, uh, something about um, my commitment is to truth over consistency, something like that, you know, because he acknowledged truth is you know always or everything's always changing there's yeah. there is no constant so what's yeah. true for you today in the moment so exactly like for example look at george lucas he he created wonderful movies he went back and re-edited them and they look different <laughs> well, star wars is not the same nope. as it was in the original version it changed it sometimes for the better and i could have done without the singing um <laughs> alien and, and return of the jedi <laughs> you yeah. know yeah you know there, there's some sometimes it's wonderful not to be able to go back and change him you know for if i if if I go back to writing my book, The Five Levels of Attachment, it looked dramatically different. Yeah. yeah it would. Yeah. But instead of writing, rewriting that one, I'm going to write another one yeah. that's going to build upon it and right. build upon it. That's the beautiful thing about inspiration. You know, the, the Beatles could have rewritten and uh, Love Me Do over and over again, but mm. they got to the Magical Mystery Tour. They got to, to Norwegian Wood. They got to Let It Be. They, they, they evolved. Even... And there are solo albums that could have gone back to Love Me Do, but they continued. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing of inspiration. You know, you see what you've created and you make it, improve it, let it evolve in that next moment. Mm. And just like our work of art, our life, the beautiful thing about our work is just imagine this painting that continuously evolves, a, a living painting that changes with every stroke, with every idea, with every thought. Mm -hmm. And it's a living thing. And it, it'll stop painting the moment I take my last breath. Right. When my heart gives out its last pulse, and the last moment, I'm able to enjoy this moment from the single point of perception that is me. Because mm -hmm. eventually, when I let go of this body, let go of this mind, and I pass on to the next stage, the levels of attachment will cease to exist even then. Yeah. Yeah. So beautifully said. I think that's a great place to, to kind of bring this to a close. Um, before we do wrap it up, though, I, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about your book you're working on now. Do you, by chance, have a, a release date, or is it still too far out for you to... Well, to right now they projected, and, you know, like it's it's written in pencil, not ink. Yeah, right. Um, the deadline is July 31st. I'm, I'm, I just finished with the... Purging. I'm, we're about to enter the stage of editing and filling in the holes, which is my favorite part of writing a book. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's uh, when you first write, the the target is all over the place. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you learn to hone in your your point, and you go for it. And right now, it's supposed to be released March of next year, 2015. That's this idea. Uh, if it changes or not, we'll find out. But yeah. right now, that is the projected idea. So, right now, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take it easy for the rest of the year, and then take a big tour next year. Cool. So yeah, besides the book, that's pretty much what you're doing. You don't have any. Do you have any other workshops lined up, or is it just? I have one. I have one workshop that I'm know I'm doing in Colorado. It's a as a weekend retreat. Um, it's based on one of my dad's stories of the magical deer and. It's a weekend workshop. Um, my, our friends, Franco, um, created the event, so they invited me to do it, and I'm going to do it. It'll be fun. And then I might be going to Europe. Um, that'll be fun. 
Nice. But uh, I'm gonna try to um, keep it mellow in the last the last quarter of the year, so I can be with my family before I hit the road again. Cool. And and that just made me think too. Our, we have our mutual friend Jill uh, at Circle mm. Three, and she had told me that you you guys, you Jose, and and I believe your father sometimes do a, a big retreat in Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah, our, yeah. Jose, Jose and my dad are doing one this next month. Actually, they're oh, are they really? Teotihuacan. Yeah. And I'm not going to be joining them because I'm writing a book. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, uh, sometimes I join them. You know, last year I was there with them. Cool. So maybe and next year you'll... Yeah. So And right now my, my dad is semi-retired. So right now that's the only thing he's scheduled to be at live. Oh, right on. So that'll be exciting. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you. I, uh, is there anything else we didn't cover before we finish that you wanted to share? Or do you think we got through with some good stuff? No, we got stuff. I have to say, it's it's so cool to talk to you. You know, oh, it's it's fun to en- engage someone whom we I can relate with quite a bit, and yes. I, mean, I enjoy your work and keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, the feeling is uh, very mutual, and I really appreciate your time and uh, oh. and I, I really again for our viewers, the the five levels of attachment is uh, is a very important book for me and many others. So I can't recommend it enough. And in all your work, your whole family's work is doing great things. So. Oh. I honor you very much, and I thank you for your time. Enjoy yourself and have fun, and congratulations, and congratulations on this. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. Too. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.